And welcome, everybody, to the Between Two Wheels podcast. This is a show from Northern California, but we talk about the world because that's really all that's going on. Today's show, the Tour de France, is only two weeks away, and for many, their hopes are crashing down. Some don't quite have the fitness, so we'll talk about that. Did some goof off during lockdown. Maybe that was their problem. Uh, American has a legitimate mountain goat in climbing. We will talk about Sepp Cuss coming up. Horrific crash. They deviate the attention from the Tour de France coming up. So the battle at Lombardia had some tragic crashes. We also had some at uh, the Daphne, some things that make you go, hmm, the rider of the week. And does Patrick Lefevre have litigious fever? Does that work? I don't know. All coming up, Between Two Wheels podcast. This is August 21, 2020, episode 188. And I'm bringing in Chris Flower. Chris, I know you love that opening. You love the yelling. You said it was a little bit aggressive. But either way, welcome. And how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I like the intensity. It's a good way to kind of like break out of that lunchtime uh, food coma. So it's, it's a good, good opportunity to wake up. But I think I'm doing well. Um, I can't say the same, I'm sure, for everybody. I'm glancing outside right now to, to get a sense of how gray the skies are with smoke. And it's, it's pretty terrible out there, I think, for anybody in, in the greater Northern California area, where if, if something's not burning, it's probably about to burn soon. Right. And, and look, Kurt is in here. I don't know if this is a first that he's actually joining us without joining us. I mean, he's, he's in here. He's, he's going to be a live um, participant. No, he's just going to be a, a guest or a listener or watcher, a viewer. Um, Mark Tucker's here as well. He says that Clovis, he likes his Clovis practice crits. They said the laps, the practice laps, I guess. It was on fire. Just, just like the whole state of California and smoking. Okay. Well, yeah, that must have been a little tough. I don't know how Clovis is as far as the weather goes right now. But um, it can't be it can't be a great thing. I, if those that are you're watching or checking this out, you're not in California. You probably know that California is on fire. We got hit with a ton of lightning storms and just ravaged the whole area because that's what we needed right now uh, with a pandemic uh, economic collapse. Let's burn too. So yeah, it's definitely unfortunate. Um, there was a couple uh, emails floating around on our, our little team um, site or whatever. And uh, I think John had floated the idea of going out and doing a, a, a ride around the, um, the Guerneville area. And if you look on a map, it's like, that's burning now, too. So it's, uh, there's really not many places you can escape the, the, the smoke and the fires right now. So no, I, I best agree. that might be to kind of hunker down and wait it out. You know, I went to do, a, a, you know, cloudy the other day. It wasn't so bad. It kind of rode up in an area that was not so bad, but it, it got nasty. And then I had a tough time sleeping. Um, these are all, you know, people are losing their houses and I'm, I'm having a tough time sleeping because it's like smoking all night. Uh, pretty, pretty rough. Uh, have sympathy Definitely. for Tyler. Just a note, because you had asked us about last week. So we have a live chat going here, it's, you know, and get some stuff. I'll throw it up on the screen so people can um, join in and, and we'll have some interaction and we'll do that. Um, what happens when we're done with this? YouTube then takes a while for this to process. And if you want to relive this with live chat, you got to wait till it's all done process, processing, usually by the next day or tonight. Uh, then when you watch it again, you can see the live chat that went on. So join in this frantic uh, experience that we have going on. So what about cycling? Chris, we are done with Jason's time trial thing. We went over that last week. Um, I know you said you took some time off the bike and you lost a, a, you're starting to lose weight as a result. What are the, what are you doing? What kind of um, supplements are you taking to do a drastic weight loss? Um, you, you have diarrhea? Well, that was, that was really short lived. Oh, that was, that was very short lived. So I, I was, 
I've pretty much been taking a break since March. Um, but I really took a break after last Thursday. So after last Thursday, we, we just got hit with this massive heat wave. And I didn't want to go outside then. And now it's a little cooler, but it's incredibly smoky. So I don't want to ride in that either. And I, I'm really not in the mood to, to ride the trainer. So I'm not riding that. So I've pretty much been off the bike uh, over a week now. And there was an initial dip in my weight where it must have been because I wasn't really eating extra in response to riding. So I kind of had a little dip and it, it's coming back up. So I, I need to be either mindful of what I eat or, or get back on the bike in some capacity. Well, our thoughts and our prayers are yeah. all going with you and your family I, during this troublesome time. <clears throat> right. It's a struggle. How's uh, your riding going other than riding in the smoke? Yeah. So I, I've decided I'm just going to take a little bit of time off. Time off. Um, got got little, that, the whole smoke thing and then I wasn't feeling so well. Uh, I did recover. I got like 10, 12 hours of sleep last night. And I'm I'm back at it. I'm drinking a wow. load of coffee. What are you drinking? Chris said uh, Kurt said you're drinking a, a Bloody Mary. Okay, iced coffee. Ice coffee. Wake myself up. <laughs> right, or a light beer. Um, okay, let's talk about. Look, the the big news of the week. Right. Well, there's there's so much we could go through, but let's start with uh, the Jumbo and the Ineos. The Tour de France teams are announced. That's a big issue, and um, the big thrill is that uh, you're not going to have, well, it's not a thrill. I'm disappointed that we're not going to have the drama of Thomas and uh, Chris Froome. What was your take on seeing that? My first thing was, okay, I could see Froome, but then I was kind of like, oh, I was, you know, Thomas isn't there. What was your take when you saw that and just, you know, um, having those two guys not make the roster? Well, you watched part of the Daphne, right? I watched it all, yes. They, they just weren't there at any point in the race. I mean, maybe they did some early work, but eh, it's not surprising. I mean, it, it seems like they've got other guys that are more um, in tune to support Bernal, who sounds like he may be injured himself. So it doesn't seem like Enios is going into this firing on all cylinders. they got a couple weeks to figure things out. But um, it's not surprising to see Froome and, and um, Thomas not make the team. Right. Um, and the I'll- other thing to keep in mind is that the – the grand tour schedule is really condensed this year. So, you know, if you bring Thomas and, and Froome and Bernal to the tour, who do you take to the other races? So at the very least they can kind of bring those guys to the other races and hopefully salvage something out of that. But well, on that note though, it seems like most teams are kind of going with the all for nothing tour. And because that is definitely a go. So let's just throw all our eggs in this basket right away. Um, you know, I mean, uh, Jumbo had planned for their three headed monster as well as uh, Ineos. Uh, one other thing to take, remind yourself of is, you know, people are saying, oh, is like, as an example, is Roglic peaking too soon? Or what about, you know, Froome and them being able to ride themselves in? The Dauphiné is only two weeks before the tour, where it's normally about a month. So that makes right. a difference. So you've had riders coming in too hot for the Dauphiné, and then they fade away. Uh, other ones, you know, not trying to be able to ride themselves in, they still have a month left. Not the case in what we have here. So with that said, um, I, I'm actually... I don't think Tom, it, it, okay, what do you think then about the Ineos structure? Because I went through here. Here's their lineup. Bernal, Carapaz, who got pulled out from the Tour of Italy, so he's in with them. Uh, Sivakov, Mikhail Kwiatkowski, Castro uh, Vejejo, uh, Dylan Van Barl, Andre Amador, and Luke Rowe. All pretty young. I think the oldest one there is Castro Vejo is 33. That's the oldest, and uh, Amador is 33. They're lacking kind of that experience and that team captain idea, I think. So what, what's your idea, uh, what's your thought about seeing that team and what they can do at the tour? I think they'll be fine. Um, okay. They've got guys in the car that will play the team captain role as needed. Um, 
Bernal's shown himself to be a, a pretty savvy racer. Um, in the event they get on the back foot, they've got enough guys there to, to help pull something back. Um, I think it's going to be probably more responding to what Lotto Yumbo does, more so, or Yumbo Visma, whatever they are, um, responding to what they do more so than taking the lead. But uh, I think their team is fine. I think they've got enough people in there that'll be supportive of Bernal. I, I think it also helps clear up any mid-race who's the leader type of uh, drama that could have come up with with Froome or even Thomas so it, it gives it a, a real clear objective in the sense that the team's racing for Bernal um, in the event something does go awry they still have Sivakov who proved to be a pretty solid rider at the Dauphine right. um, so they've got a good backup in the event something does go wrong but I don't think he's a, a strong enough uh, personality in the team to really challenge Bernal on, on the onset so no, I, I, I think don't, they've got a good team. I don't think so either. And I don't think any of those guys, I mean, Sivakov is riding well, but this is the tour. It's not, you know, he has not right. a proven aspect there. Carapaz obviously won the Giro last year, but I don't think he's riding to the point where he needs, he's up there. Uh, you know, he's two, I guess you got two weeks and then a chance to ride your in, ride yourself into form, but I don't think he'll be competing for that team lead. So yeah, you're right. They, they eliminated the drama, which is too bad. It's always fun to see that. Um, you know, remember the, it was a 2012 and where, uh, Wiggins and Froome's wives were going at it with each other on, on, on social media, you know, we're going to miss that. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if Bernal's got a wife that's going to be chiming in to counter Froome. So maybe we wouldn't have seen it anyway, but aren't they, aren't they like um, high school friends or lovers or something like that? Bernal and Froome. I don't think that lines up. <laughs> Bernal and his wife. There was something there. She said, uh, okay. I don't know. Okay. So uh, what about, uh, but yeah, I think their team's going to be fine. And then you look at the, the counter with uh, Yumbo Visma and they've got a solid team too, even though they lost Kreuzwick. I mean, they, they still have, uh, Dumoulin, who looked really good coming in the last day of the Dauphiné, and he's kind of in a position where, you know, I think we had talked last week, or maybe I thought about it, or we talked via text, is, um, uh, oh boy, uh, Primo Roglic, was he peaking too soon, so to speak? And if he is, well, they've got Dumoulin there ready to go as well. So mm-hmm. they, I think they're be, they've got the better opportunity to be the, the lead team in the tour. Um, very good point. Uh, Dumoulin actually made a po- uh, comment uh, after the race about how he was coming into form and that he needs to be able to be there because he wants to be able to have that threat. He's He feels, you know, saying that it's important for him to be able to be a threat so that anytime he goes up the road, they'll have to chase him. Uh, or if something happens to Roglic, he's still right there. So he's definitely, he wasn't saying, oh, I'm here all for Roglic. He's like, I'm here for Roglic, but I need to be just with Roglic. So still, uh, and he was impressive because you're right. He was like, as I talked to you offline, or maybe we even mentioned it, he was, he was pushing the pace himself. Uh, but then when he would pull off instead of just blowing up Kwiatkowski like, or Froome lately, he, uh, he hung on the back and it was, uh, it was good to see what So Stephen Kreuzwick came out that he said, Hey, I just, I, you know, first they said separated shoulder and you think, okay, could that dislocated, put it back in might be okay, but I think it's fractured. So he's definitely right. not in the tour. That's another big rider out, but their replacement is kind of a roller. So you have someone, which may be a good idea. I mean, you know, you're stacking your whole team with a bunch of climbers and then um, you have climbing like the second stage. What if Roglic, you know, you can't turn down a win. What if he gets in the yellow Jersey and now you think you might have to start protecting it with uh, a Kreuzwick on the front. I don't know takes on that well Kreuzer won't be on the front well no so I'm saying they, they replaced a, a skinny climber they didn't bring Tollhook as an example right. they brought in a, a yeah. bigger guy and then his name is um, I, Amon Grondal Janssen 
for those out there. Yeah, I don't know much about him. Um, it, it seems like it would be an odd replacement, but maybe they've looked at the the tour um, course and, and felt like they had enough climbing support. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know enough about him to, to comment on that. But it, it seems like an odd choice, but uh, it seems like they know what they're doing. Uh, side note here, Kurt makes a good point, as does Jason Griffith. Curious what Wiggins' wife thinks now. And uh, Griffith responds with, seriously, that's an interesting story with Mrs. Formerly Wiggins. I don't know what the, I know that they're getting divorced. Is that correct? I think you have to evaluate how well Wiggins is riding. If you use kind of the, the Kurt ride-o-meter relative to relationship meter Okay, okay. So Wiggins might be coming into really good form if things are on the rocks there. Okay. He was on the world's strongest man competition last week on ESPN eight. Thanks Zimney. Um, I'm assuming you're talking about, I'm assuming it's Wiggins. You know, he was into rowing. He was into all kinds of stuff. I think he gets a tat for every pound he loses or gains. So he's, he's looking pretty good lately. Um, okay. Any, any other, uh, revelations out of those two teams that you've seen this week and kind of what, I mean, look, the whole talk right now is about those two teams and, um, uh, Sepp Cuss, you know, we'll, we'll get to him in a little bit, but uh, I think losing Kreuzwick is not as big of a deal as it could have been. I mean, I say that right. in the third place. Think about that. Third place last year, he's not in. Um, second place last year, and then what was, and then Froome obviously wasn't there last year, but he, you know, it, he's Froome. He's won four tours. Right. Yeah, I know. It's, um, who, are there any other kind of, threatening teams out there in the event one of these two stumble how does a how does Sunweb look or Mitchelton Scott or I guess Bahrain Merida is going all in on um oh gosh what's his name former sky rider drawn blank on Landa today yes Landa I, I think they're going all on on him because they dumped Cavendish today well, and I saw we, we we saw Cavendish was it uh, Wallonie one of those races, and he he was trying to get up in the sprint and he got muscled out, and and you're like oh he got muscled out, but it's it's really looking like that would never have happened to Cavendish. He and when people started kicking, he just it was it was evident he's not even on in their class right now. Um, well, other right. teams, so Landa, you have Mitchell and Scott came out and said we're all for stage wins. We're not going for for the win, and I think you know both the Yates brothers have kind of shown they're not ready ready for that. Uh, I don't think Chavez is. So um, they're just going for stage wins. Um, other than that, you've got EF. I don't know if Ran or Martinez can do anything, but uh, mm. you know, those, okay. are your, those are your other options. Uh, let's see if any of these other jokers here have anything else they want to do. Um, Kurt just says, uh, no. Zimini said, no. I meant the jumbo guy replacing Kroiswick. Okay. Uh, what? Here's Brian's thing. What if Wiggins replaced Kroiswick? How pissed would Froome be? <laughs> Probably not going to happen, but um, I, I like the – that's more drama, and I do like it. Um, okay, so let's talk about some crashes. This happened this week. Um, I tried to come up with a list of them here, and maybe you got you have more. The Daphne, Kreuzwick crashed out. Bachman crashed out. Dan Martin, we mentioned him last week. He said, I, I still don't feel any problems, but he's got some cracked something. Primus Roglic crashed. Uh, Bernal went – now you said you were worried about his health. I heard um, Daniel Freeb talking that uh, the day he pulled out, that uh, all the teams saw him riding basically the route anyway. He just wasn't racing, so I think he's okay. Uh, Sivakov went down. I think he's he's well. Uh, Lombardia. We had Evan Paul, Shackman, and then Froome and and um, and Thomas both just crashed health wise. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Any other big crashes that you saw out there that uh, you know are devastating teams right now? I mean, because it's a whirlwind of it. I think that's a pretty big list right there, isn't it? Um, 
I don't know if there are any crashes in Maloney. Uh, I know that there was a lot of, or at least crashes that were significant in, in Maloney. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I, don't even um, know that I know that guys were, were pretty irked about the road conditions there as well as the road conditions in the, um, in the Dauphine. But I mean, you're losing Kreuzwick, you're losing Martin. Martin, they're thinking he may be able to heal up and be ready to race the tour, but I think he fractured his something in his pelvis Sacral. or something. I forget. Okay. Um, Roglic, has anybody heard anything from him after he pulled out of the race? Is he, I, is he just kind of I saw up and an, I saw or? a headline that I didn't click on more, and it just said a Roglic, um, comma, or colon or something. It, um, I'm not feeling better like I expected to. Basically, I'm not recovering oh, from this okay. as good as I, and I don't know if that's just, you know, teams playing this out. Hey, look, we, we, this is very important info. We have to go back here. Uh, the former Tudor friend, this is as, as per Jason Griffith, Former Tour de France winner revealed on Twitter that he and his wife had separated. It is with deep sadness. My wife, Kath, and I have decided to separate, he wrote. Okay. I don't know if that's necessary to, to report that out. Um, it reminds me of uh, what's his name and uh, the, the Coldplay and his, his wife where they did a, um, some sort of uncoupling. They didn't divorce. They didn't separate. They did uncoupling. Um, those are important hmm. terms to get right. Uh, no. This really okay. deviated. So let's talk about um, Sepp's win at, um, at the Daphne. I thought this was incredible for a few aspects. One, it was um, that team, uh, Lotto Jumbo, took it to every, or Jumbo Visma, they took it to everybody on almost every stage. Wow, it was amazing. Uh, Roglic looks very good until he crashes out. Uh, and then Sepp Kuss comes away with another win. And so Roglic bows out for the last stage and that stage was out of control. It was like uh, dynamite to hit the whole thing and there was no one in control. And I think it brought about two things. One, it allowed Sep to go up the road and he just lit it up and ended up getting the win, which you would expect him to do. Uh, but it also showed Pino got put into the leader's role and he could not do anything to control that. Um, what was your take on Sep and then maybe Pino for, uh, from the French point of view? I think I'd also like to point out that the finish of those races were really interesting because they were finishing on, we call them air parks or airports. Yeah but they were all in like 10% grades. Uh, is that beneficial for, for getting a plane in the air to, to be taking off? Are, are you going uphill as you're doing that? Or are you going downhill for that? You're landing? I think you're going. Yeah. Or, or taking off. I, mean, I think it, it's all it, uphill. It was an interesting play on, on the airport that I hadn't seen before, right. but anyway. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really good win by, by Sepkus. Sepkus. Um, he won stage four. And I think at the time, what, um, Philippe and Sivakov were up the road. They had gotten chased down by uh, a couple other riders, but it was it was impressive to see him kind of attack, watch the guys kind of claw themselves back up to him, attack again, attack again. He was definitely in, in great form and, and obviously in better form than everybody else, but he just seemed so in control of the stage from from the onset. So it was it was good to see him get a win against some really powerful guys and on a pretty tough climb. Um, it was either Velo News or Cycling Tips did a breakdown of his power throughout the entire stage race, and it's worth a read just to kind of get a sense of, right. uh, A, his size, because if you look at the watch, you're like, oh, I could do that, but then you realize he's, you know, 120 pounds or something like that, and you look at his watts per kilogram, and it's it's outrageous how, how many watts he's putting out mid-stage, end-of-stage, at the end of four days, and uh, definitely a, a good, powerful climber for his size, and that... that lended himself to a heck of a win. If I remember, there was a second, you know, they broke him down by this part of the climb and this section and this part of it. And there yeah. was one where, or maybe two or different ones where he was 7.1 watts per kilo. I mean, I was, he, yeah. it was yikes. Uh, yeah. So 
you write about the, the Alaphilippe and Sivakov up the road, then uh, Sivakov gets rid of Alaphilippe, and then uh, Pogacar goes up there. What was interesting is Danny Martinez and Sepp both left the main group at the same time, and next thing you know, um, Martinez is up there with the group, and Sepp's nowhere to be found, and you think, oh, he's about, they go over the top of the climb, next thing you know, Sepp's jotting up to him, and then he just <laughs> destroys them all, uh, like a yeah. 9, 10K out, so... Uh, Good for him. And I, I did feel bad for um, for Pino, though, because he was in the, the, I guess you want to call it the chase group at that point with Dumoulin and, and a few others. And you could tell that he was sensing the race was getting away from him. Uh, so he was really putting in a dig. And I think they got to like a, a slightly flatter section and Dumoulin just, just took off like a rocket to the next group ahead. And you kind of just saw the, the defeat come through Pino at that point. And uh, it almost seemed like maybe those two were working together, but no, they clearly weren't. And Dumoulin was uh, probably just getting a test of his legs, but it was it was pretty sad to see Pino just kind of break at that point. What was also interesting is you actually saw collaboration with uh, some of the French teams, which you don't normally see, and they might get yelled at from the director sportifs. At one point, Philippe's helping. Um, then you had um, AG2R rider, forget, uh, Bardet, he was helping. Um, yeah. You even had uh, Guillaume Martin helping for a little bit. By the way, he ended up third overall for Kofidis. This might be their best finish in like the last 10 years. Um, so pretty impressive. But Pino, it, it makes you realize that he, he kept attacking kind of out of that, trying to get, get up the road. And what he probably needed to do was just set a hard tempo and, and maybe claw those guys back. And you can see the panic on his face and maybe uh, that he – the only way for him to really win the Tour de France is to take it on the last the last day. By the way, is in his hometown, so um, mm, yeah, okay. up the Planche de Belfi. And he's uh, he's going to be fresh because he's uh, his team said he's not allowed to race the French national championship. So he's he's well, saving his legs and didn't not going to be injured. Didn't he say he was? Oh, so Kurt makes a point here. And by the way, Kurt, we'd like to recruit you for this if possible. Talking about crashes is way better than taking the time to produce a small clip that shows them. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I agree, but this isn't a great show. So what do you, I don't know what you're expecting. And by the way, if you want to cut those clips and send them to me, or you know what, you can just join, I'll send you the link. You join in, you just share them on your screen and we'll be good to go. How's that? We know he's just sitting at the DMV with nothing to do at this point. So he could be putting these clips together for us. That's true. He did say he was going to the DMV, which I, I don't know. What, is he getting a, maybe for the new, the new uh, van? That's probably what it is. So the second monument was out this week. Uh, not the second one. Yeah, the second one of the year, right? Uh, Lombardia. Yeah. Um, pretty, I, I haven't, you know, it's always so late in the year that I don't really get a chance to watch it. Uh, fantastic race, by the way. And, and I had mentioned last year, that uh, last week, that I thought there was something with a motorcycle. And I think it, looking back, I remembered, I think it was um, Gilbert when he was still with BMC and he got kind of pinched off by a motorbike in one of the last pitchy climbs. But um, did you get a chance to see this? And then um, obviously there was some t crashes that were, were part of it, but what did you, what was your takeaway and uh, any description you want to do of the race? Yeah, I think I started watching with maybe 40, 50 K to go looking at the notes. You probably caught about the same as I did. So um, I, I tuned in when they were going up probably the last of the real major climbs. Uh, there was a group of maybe 10 or 15 guys together and that's when Shockman and, uh, Vanderpool and company started to get distance from the lead group. Um, the, the challenge with these is they're always a little earlier in the morning and I kind of doze in and out or go right. to get breakfast mid-race. So I, I kind of miss bits and pieces, but uh, going over the top of that climb, I think it was a group of six or seven that ultimately made the, the, the lead group of the day. It was three Trek riders, a couple from Astana, um, George Bennett and Evan, Evenepoel. And there may have been one more in there. 
No. I forget. Uh, but it was definitely a, a tough race, and it looked like at, at one point Vanderpool was going to kind of pull a, an Amstel Gold and, and pull himself back into the fold because I think he had it to about 10 or 15 seconds at, at one point, but then, right. then they hit the next climb, and he was obviously just cooked. And I don't even think he, he stuck with the, the second chase group that was on the road with Shockman and, and was able to stick with them. He just blew up. You know, at that it, before it, you it go, like, at the same point he was getting dropped. You saw Mike Woods up there, which you know uh, he just yeah. isn't quite on the top, but he was getting kicked. What was interesting is I looked at the results. Mike Woods, and it was a third EF rider. So um, Barrero and Simon Clark both passed him at some point. Um, so you know you're you're near the top, and then when you blow, you blow anyway. So so go from that point. Yeah. So it, I mean, when when it looked like Vanderpool was able to get really darn close. I'm surprised he wasn't able to connect all the way. It, it looked like Trek was kind of putting themselves in charge of the race. It was, um, who was up there? It was... Baca Malamar. Uh, Nibali, Nibali, Ducky Malamar. And Ciccone. 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 Yeah. And I mean, they were just like the three of them setting the pace, setting the pace, setting the pace. And it was like, oh, they must be really feeling great. They're setting this up for Viviani. Um, no, I'm sorry. Ciccone, Nibali. probably. And then they just fell apart. It was it was unfortunate because uh, then you just were left with Astana and George Bennett. My my feeling on and, that was they had trouble the whole time. Like those climbs, they were the Balka was kind of off the back, but neither yeah. Ciccone nor Nibali, none of them looked as good as the two Astana riders, Remco until he was out, and Bennett. Those four were just yeah. a notch. I mean, there was like no separation where the other two would kind of dangle a little bit. Um, and then and then you have the crazy um, Nibali takes a descent like he does. And next thing you know, I don't know if you, you were watching it live at the time. I think we you are because yeah. we, we text back and forth. Yeah, it was it was interesting because you know the the guys calling the race they are limited to what they get from the from the field, and you know they they show the descent, they show the guys going through that bridge, and then the must have been like the trailing camera just kind of shows a bike by the side of the bridge, and it's like that looks a little out of place, and it's got a number on it, and there's no rider around. And then it was just kind of dead silence for a while. And it took maybe two or three minutes for them to get some really grainy footage to show Eventipol kind of overcooking the churn, hitting the, the, the edge of the bridge, and they're just flying over. And uh, definitely not a good crash. I mean, they, they were able to show some of the bridge, and it was obviously a, a good distance to the bottom. And the unfortunate thing is you, know, you, you see the, the official's car, see the bike, they pull over, they kind of prop the bike up on the bridge, and they take off. Keep going. Like, race is going sorry you might be you know dead down there but them's the brakes um yeah it was just it was unfortunate it was very and when i first saw it I, it's hard it was so grainy it was hard to tell it looked like he had hit you know in the beginning coming into the corner where the start of the bridge was that he just flipped over the side and he's in the ditch you know no big deal well relatively no big deal and then you look <laughs> further and you're like oh it's he, there was still some height where he went in and then I, I was glad to see it a little later where he hit it he flipped over and luckily he flipped, I say, I hope, luckily enough that he didn't go over head first. He actually flipped enough mm -hmm. where he went over feet first, which is, you know, the breaking of the pelvis. That's how he landed rather than, you know, falling directly 15 feet or so, I'm assuming, on his head. It was it was really horrific. Any I've heard commentary about, you know, everyone says, oh, this corner and this and that. He was riding disc brakes. I don't know if this is something we need to bring up. That could be the, either the fault or why did it not stop him? But... Um, I mean, you can't go around, I guess, every corner and protect against a pot because everyone else was making it around that corner. Yeah, and I don't know, like like you said, for you on the same boat, I haven't watched this race that many times, so I don't know if it's 
the same route all the time or if there's little tweaks that they'll throw in there and how many times they've done this descent. But it didn't look like it was anything outrageous or anything particularly unsafe about it. It just looked like uh, your routine turn at the bottom of a descent that he overcooked. And I, I doubt disc brakes played anything into it because I think Nibali was on disc brakes and he did just fine. Right. But um, uh, it was probably just a lack of concentration um, or maybe turn was a little more intense than he thought it was. He went in too fast because uh, he had fallen to the back of the group at that point. So maybe that the he was taking on some water, taking on some food. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, he just kind of went through and overcooked it a little bit and them's the breaks. I, I really believe, I mean, one, he was off the back of the little group. Nibbly has just a little gap on everybody. And they're all chasing him trying to do that. And um, he was immediately when it started getting technical, he had trouble. Um, trouble. I mean, everyone knows how nibbly goes and that's, you made, do I want to give you, I, I want to give you credit if you want to take credit. Otherwise I'll take credit for the Patrick <laughs> Lefevre thing. I don't know if that's uh, insensitive, oh, we can share that. but no, that, that was brilliant. Um, nibble, you know, I was saying he's getting litigious. He's going to sue nibbly, right? right. For, for going down too fast and making his rider chase. But remember nibbly did that. Uh, was it 16, 2016 Giro when Kreuzwick was in the lead and he went over the top and Kreuzwick was trying to stay with him and he crashed into a snowbank and I think he separated his shoulder then. So Nibali is right. obviously known for his ability to go downhill. And I, I think what you saw is there was the panic of Remco being like, I can't get distance on this downhill. I'll never catch back up with this group. And that's much, and he was feeling great. So he was doing everything he could and he just did not have that ability to go around. My point about disc breaks, John, because John says disc breaks don't help bad lines. Everyone says how you can't win, you know, this is the, I'm being facetious here, right? The comment being that disc brakes will, will do everything and you'll never, you'll be able to pull out of a bad line. And obviously that's the point there. So. Yeah, I know that's, uh, and, and looking at his form coming into this race, I think if he had kind of just picked his own lines through those descents, he would have been able to chase back on without issue. I mean, he, he killed song earlier in, in the year, uh, I think he would have been just fine if he had just kind of paced himself, took the corners at his comfort level, um, and we may have been talking about a different outcome. But um, uh, you try and hang with Nibali in his home turf, it, it's not going to end well. John, uh, John Novikov brings up a good point for those that have joined late. What is Chris drinking? And Zimini said it's tiger blood. <laughs> I, I, it's um, I, it's an iced coffee, so some interesting background on this. Oh, geez. How it's, much time do you have? With 30 seconds. So my wife bought it and I, I poured myself a glass of it the other day, not realizing that it was, it, it's cold brew, but it's concentrated and you're supposed to dilute it with water. And I didn't realize that the first time I drank it, it was the most intense cold brew iced coffee I'd ever had, but <laughs> what do you mean by I, I've since figured it out. What do you mean by intense? Uh, it was incredibly strong. It was concentrated coffee. Okay. Gotcha. Well, good. I hope it kept you up for a while. That's what we need. It certainly did. Um, so back to the race. Yeah. Uh, okay, we've lost Venipole. Um, we've now shed the, the Trek trio, and that left, um, was it Bennett and uh, who was the, the Astana Vlasov? Yes. And, and Fuglesang. Okay. And it looked like, you know, Astana was really well set up to kind of one to Bennett all day if they wanted to, but they kind of just, I, I think Fuglesang was feeling really good. He used up Vlasov uh, until Vlasov couldn't hang on the was second to last climb. And then going into the last climb, I think Bennett probably felt okay, or maybe he felt like Fuglesong was on the back foot, tried to throw in an attack. Fuglesong just kind of 
jumped right on his wheel. And then after the second one, he just rode Bennett away, and that was it. I think he won by quite a distance, too. Yeah, I want to say 30, 40 seconds or something like that. Uh, yeah. So Vlasov had won Gilles de Mille or something like that earlier uh, with a really impressive finish climb. Uh, Bennett had won that Piedmont uh, with a really impressive 10, 20K finish or 15K, something like that. Um, and then you have Fulsong, who's been right, you know, he won last year uh, Liège, so he's obviously got the, the cred and he was hanging up there. So it was a fantastic way to finish. Um, and, you know, we talk about the three Trek riders and people are like, oh, you know, you have three guys. And yeah, I think one of them maybe should have attacked to do something. Uh, but the reality is uh, with the way that those finishing climbs were, they weren't going to last much at all. So um, I don't know, you can, and people were drawn back to, was it, Newsblatt that's a few years ago where three Dequanic quick step riders got hoodwinked <laughs> into the, the, you know, losing it with a one, I don't even remember who the rider was. I just remember that that happened. Standard. Yeah, there you go. Um, that exactly. Uh, and that kind of happened, but I mean, in a race like this with those climbing, it's just the strongest legs are going to win. I don't care if you have the team uh, to do it. So, uh, right. but they could have tried maybe something else. Or the strongest legs of the guy that didn't crash would have won. So I suspect that Eventipol would have done just fine in that finish. Right, right. Uh, anything else you, you took away from uh, the, the race of the falling leaves? So the course wasn't the issue, but as you probably saw, the course control may have been an issue. Yeah. Uh, there was a bit of an incident there with um, Shockman, who who's now probably out for a while. And he was in one of the chase, well, he was chasing solo uh, after getting dropped on the, that last big climb, but Looked like he was coming down a descent and a, a car must have jumped through one of the barriers or maybe the barrier just wasn't properly manned. Got on course and got in front of Shockman and as Shockman was trying to go through a corner, the car kind of left hooked him and Shockman went right into the side of the car. Um, and he ended up finishing the, the race. I think he was still top 10 a few minutes back. But Seventh. Uh, he ended up um, dislocating and ultimately, I think, breaking his collarbone. So... Uh, you know, one of the things that has definitely been brought to the forefront by a lot of the riders is is rider safety. And with the crashes in the Dauphiné, the road conditions in Bologna, uh, the barriers at uh, Tour of Poland, and, and now this, where it's like, gosh, I mean, if there's anything that the, the race organizers should be able to control, it's it's cars getting onto the course. Right. Uh, so it was just kind of one more thing for, for 2020 where we lose a really talented rider. This, this oh, hey, this, this reminds me of... Uh, what, what we're just, the things that make me go, Hmm, we'll start that segment up because you have a good point and we want to talk about it. I actually tried to take a, and I don't know if I'll be able to play this here. Uh, there might not be any sound that's uh, with it. So, um, no, I took a little segment of, uh, sorry, Kurt, this is, this is the kind of stuff you're talking about. Um, of Tom Dumoulin, um, and his, mm -hmm. his discussion, he had about this situation and the whole thing, but why don't you talk about yours, your, what you're going, cause he was talking about this road, but I don't have the clip. So bummer. Anyway, go ahead. I thought Kurt was putting that together, but he's not. But um, similar to that, before I get into the things that make you go, hmm, and kind of thinking back to Sepkus, um, after the Dauphiné, they did a good interview with Dumoulin. I don't know if you saw that or not, where they asked him about his opinions on Kuss, and he, he gives some very positive um, feedback. He, he kind of knocks Americans in the process, but he, he definitely thinks very highly of Sepkus. So. Well, so... Um, I'm, I'm starting the, 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 the intro music because I'm, we're going to talk about that. And I, I do have a comment because he made one, one, big, one big statement about Americans, which I think is perfectly fine. But it's humorous to me coming from him, who I think it aptly defines him as well. So go ahead. 
Uh, so yeah, things that make you go home. The one thing that that was kind of unfortunate, I thought, was all right. The riders were pissed off at, at the Dauphiné because they started that race was a stage three yeah. with a big downhill um, opener, um, led to some crashes, led to Roglic coming out, breaking Kreuzwick's arm, so on and so forth. So to really stick it to the UCI and and, and the race promoters, the the riders agreed to do a neutral 10k start to the race. And it's like that—that's the extent of their protest, right? Um, I think the notes I called it a protest, but it's like a nobody cares about the first 10k of the race. Nobody's watching the first 10k of the race. Nobody's even going to notice that this happened. Um, and if that's the extent that you're willing to kind of put yourselves out there to improve your conditions, well, then I think the UCI is like, okay, well, we're not going to change anything. The race promoters aren't going to change anything. So what's what have you done? So I, I think. Uh, they, they need to kind of get together. I know that the, the racers organization has come out and said, this is unacceptable. We demand better barriers. We demand better road conditions. And, you know, the organizer of Wallonie even agreed and said, Oh yeah, we're sorry about the road conditions that shouldn't have happened, but uh, we're going to blame COVID. I'm not sure how that's related, but they did. Um, it's just, you know, the road conditions and, and the, the crashes this year seem totally preventable. You saw that Oh, and the uh, the riders don't really seem to be in a position of any strength to do anything about it, even though they have their supposed riders union and representatives that just don't seem to do much for them. So it, it seems like maybe they need to do something like a final 10K neutralization. That, that would get more attention than the opening 10K neutralization. But. Right. So, so this is this is Dumoulin. Can you hear that? What do I make of it? Uh, it's a disgrace that that descent is in a race. Uh, the first few kilometers of that descent, actually, the whole descent was really tricky. But the first two, three kilometers were full with gravel, potholes, uh, bumps in the road, 15% down. Yeah, that, that they still put. Things like this in a race is just, uh, yeah. I, uh, I'm angry with it. Yeah, and I'm uh, really sorry for Stevie that, uh, yeah, that he has to go home now uh, because of, of this. I mean, he was in great shape and uh, I hope he's going to be okay for the tour. But uh, at least it's not ideal, of course, uh, in his preparation also. If he makes it. But uh, this downhill should never be in a race. Did you have any? All right, so that, that's just play that out there. So um, we're not going to go off of any more because he rambles a little bit. Um, so, he, <laughs> so what he had said about Subcast was he's a real nice guy, but he's a, he's 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 not like normal Americans. He's not a big mouth. <laughs> Which, right. which, which, which I, I loved. I actually, this, and I made this comment multiple times. This is what I love about Dumoulin is he'll just say right out what he thinks. And you get this unfiltered, you know, the contrast to Froome where everything seems to be scripted from corporate and Dumoulin's just boom, he says it and he has, uh, you know, just his opinions on everything. So um, I think he's kind of a big mouth, but so I, I enjoy that. So, and evidently Sepp Cuss keeps his uh, thoughts to himself. It's fair enough, but yeah. Um that was the other thing that I did notice is um, I, I think we had talked about this as well. The, um, the, the sprinter incident in tour Pallone and, and everybody saying, Oh, I think we even dug into the rules or you did with, with Jeff Linder about right. what is a racing lane and when do you have to stay in your racing lane? And if you watch the sprints at Baloney, that's all out the window. Um, guys are 
veering all the way across the road, pushing each other out of the way, um, not looking to see if there's anybody coming behind before they change lanes. Um, so it, it seems like, well, everything lasts as long as it lasts in, in terms of kind of keeping the peace until a, a win is on the line. And then they'll just kind of go back to racing the way that they want to race and the way they have raced. So it, it comes more and more um, on the shoulders of the race organizers to make sure those finishing sprints are, are as safe as can be. Well, remember, yeah. UCI came out and um, or and immediately blamed uh, Grunewagen. You know, what a horrible thing. And, yeah, Sam Bennett wins the other day. He starts his sprint on the left, and by the time he's done, he's closer to the right barrier than not. He crosses over two guys. There's a center line. He's well over the center line, and he's probably halfway between the center line and the right-hand barrier. And you're like, uh, yeah, but that's fine because you can close the door to the middle of the road, um, so it's, it's, right. and if he's doing a quick step, so it's, it's all fine and dandy. Uh, so that was a little yeah. odd to me. I'm seeing these things. No one sprints like, wow. Okay. He's the straightest sprinter we have in the, in the game. Um, anything else on he, that? He's definitely, yeah, he runs that straight line, but no, yeah, the same thing with uh, stage one, you'd see, uh, Caleb Ewan goes basically from the left barriers to the right barriers and kind of cuts across everybody's wheel and nobody crashed. So yeah, it's okay. But it's like, well. It wouldn't have taken much for somebody to have crashed in that situation. And, and honestly, I, what I think they should do if they're really serious about this is just um, you, you relegate them to the back of the pack when they do that. Even if no one yeah. throws up their arm, you know, Vlade style or anything else, you just like, oh, you, you deviated in quite a dramatic fashion. No one was hurt. Good. But you get you get last place and maybe that'll help you next time to keep it in mind. So we don't have right. a problem. And then no one's, uh, you know, making a big deal about it. But I mean, you're. You're closing doors. You're doing all those kind of things, as as Linda and I did discuss that. So, um, I, I had one yeah. here, um, and it's I'm not really going to go into it. Lance Armstrong, I guess he the shop decides to pull the contract with the police department. You said you had heard his description on his podcast. I had not, and I looked for it last night, and I just didn't do it. I thought it was interesting in the article. So they said, "Hey, look, the police used their bikes to." help a protest, keep him clear or, or against this protest or shoo people around. And then later on the article says they had also stopped working with certain banks that, that worked with gun, gun suppliers. My, my point on all these things, and, I, and maybe you can explain what he means in here. Um, it's always great when you take a stance after the fact. I mean, it would be interesting to say, hey, um, oh, and they wanted to make sure that they knew, everyone knew they're not anti-police. Um, which was an interesting thing to put. I, I think they do these kind of things to make sure they're protected from everybody. And, you know, businesses do those kind of things all the time. It was interesting that this got put out in the, um, all the, the, the cycling publications because it's bike related, but I'd be interested to hear what Lance, what his defense was. Cause I, I really just think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a signal to, Hey, don't, it's, we're going to lose more money if you come and break down our store than if we just cancel the, the contract with the police. And if you had a problem with the police, why don't you just not ever take that contract? Not defend Lance. The first question I have, I, I don't know the answer to this. Um, does Lance still have ownership stake in, in Mellow Johnny's or what's his affiliation there? I think he does because I think he was still doing his podcast from there a few times uh, last year. Could be wrong. Because okay. the way he, he discussed it in his, his podcast, it, it sounded like it was a distinct entity and he was not directly associated with them other than okay. the bike shop pretty much exists because of him. Uh, started, but, started by him. Gotcha. Yeah. So he, he, his opinion was, hey, um, you know, we've, we've got a lot of noise going on. We, we've got the anti-police crowd yelling. We've got the pro-police crowd yelling. So what he ended up doing was getting the, the folks at the bike shop and coordinating with the 
um, police captain in Austin, I believe, and, and just basically having a, a sit-down conversation where it was a kind of a group-in-group group discussion without all the background noise going on and, and trying to facilitate some positive discussion. And one of the things he even points out is he's he's a deputy in his hometown, so he is an active guy in, in law enforcement. So um, he he definitely tried to create conversation amongst um, the, the shop guys and, and the local police. So he was kind of taking less a stance of justifying anything, but more, hey, guys, let's talk about the problem and see if we can't come to some type of agreement on how we can proceed. So it was an interesting discussion and, and worth listening to if you're interested in, in the Mellow Johnny's issue. And not much more than that. <laughs> Sean Begley says, Lance said he did not agree with the MJ decision. So here's, here's the real question, and maybe for all those out there, you could answer. Who's your favorite celebrity uh, sheriff? Shaquille O'Neal, uh, Lance Armstrong, or... Um, Oh, I just had it as a David mind. He's the, he did all those cr- fake karate movies back in the eighties. Um, lives up in, in Alaska. Oh my goodness. I'm losing his, his, his name. Oh, I know what you mean. But Steven Seagal, Steven Seagal, yeah. Steven Seagal, Shaquille O'Neal or Lance Armstrong. Who's your favorite celebrity cop? And then we'll go from there. Cause I mean, there aren't any others, right? No, Sheriff Apio maybe. <laughs> um, so then there was, uh, you, why don't you take this other one, the, the Tour de France protocol. And I think this could be the most, um, interesting and explosive issue for the upcoming Tour de France. I think this one, you know, we've had issues, and Kurt's talked about this, and you, yeah, Steven Seagal, thanks, Tucker. Um, oh, they're deputies. <laughs> Come on. It's Jesse Ventura is what someone else says. Uh, no, I gave you a list of three. Um, uh, you know, the, 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 the basketball bubble and, you know, guys going out and they're, oh, everyone's kind of upset because, you know, that he's then gets quarantined. This is much different because it's, it's going to affect the entire team. You got a guy in GC, two staff members come down with COVID. What's the determination from the tour? I've read a headline. Okay. Well, then I'll tell you. As much as I know. They're going to remove the entire team if two or more staff or riders come down with COVID. Larry Warbass just got tested positive after Lombardia, um, and they're saying, well, this doesn't count. First of all, he's not on the tour team, and it it doesn't go into effect until the 26th, I think, or so, when that team starts to do that. So they're going to come in as a bubble. This is going to be really uh, important now that the whole team doesn't go out and some guy accidentally gets a hamburger like the one guy did, right? Um, so they're going to have to realize it was, uh, included staff in addition to writers. I, I, I'd seen the headline that said writers. I didn't know that included staff as well. And yeah, I think it, it brings some interesting tactics into play. And I think Kurt uh, had pointed out that, that, that could come into play as well as uh, who's doing the testing, how much transparency is there? If you have a guy test positive, can he just kind of like, uh, I, I'm injured and I'm pulling out of the race or do you have to actually present results to some overseeing body. I don't, I don't know what the, the rules are about this. I don't know if they go into any of that detail in any of the articles you've read. Uh, you're probably going to get a little bit more clarification coming out, but you know, they're trying to have these bubbles <clears throat> in place and make sure mm-hmm. everyone's fine and, and, and dandy. Um, what's interesting is I haven't heard, you know, several writers have, have got it. I mean, uh, Warbass did. I haven't heard any of them, and he's like, no symptoms, right? Almost every writer seems like they're asymptomatic. I haven't heard of any writers really coming down with it um, and not just being asymptomatic. I don't know if you have, it could be, but, um, you know, over the course of UAE, when that happened over, uh, when it first started out there in February, March till now, I haven't really heard uh, much of that. So that's, uh, that's, uh, somewhat interesting. Uh, so that could be a big problem. You got your guy in GC, your mechanic, and then one low rider gets it. You think you're fine. You're not even rooming with those guys. Whole team pulls out. It's going to be, uh, kind of interesting. Yeah, that'll be a challenge. 
big challenge. Um, okay, last thing we have is the rider or ride of the week. Who do you have, and um, what's uh, what's your determination on this? I'm I'm sticking with uh, with Wout Van Aert. Uh, I think I picked him last go around, and he's kind of maintained his uh, streak of success. He won the Belgium TT Championship, so uh, he's he's kind of continuing to show that he's got a pretty diversified set of skills. Um, when in TTs, when in sprints, when in everything, so um, he's he's the guy to go with, I think, for now. Yeah, he he won the the TT. It was uh, and then his riding at the Dauphiné was pretty incredible, especially when he's able mm-hmm. to pull and Froome and um, uh, Thomas are no, no longer able to. Eh, pretty much. Uh, well, mine. Yeah, mine, he was. He put in a ton of work. Right. I mean, he he ended up beating Campenarts of all people, who was a one of the more recent hour record holders. So, right, and he's been doing uh, that uh, altitude training as well. So. We, right. know, we know he's he's ready to go. Uh, mine is Sepkus, as you can imagine. Pretty excited about that. You know, Utah, I mean, his gradual move up from the, you know, riding for a Harley-Davidson team, I think it was, and rally, and then, you know, winning at Utah with Jumbo, and then, you know, winning the stage at the, uh, the Vuelta last year, and now, you know, made the tour team. And obviously his riding at the, the Dauphiné was pretty incredible. He was the last guy that, the, you know, they always kept for him. And um, Brian Zimney and I had talked about this uh, when he was riding in Burgos and he had to hold back one day. He was like jumping around, you know, for the leaders and he was working for Bennett and he had to hold back to, to help Bennett who was suffering. You just, you can tell that day you're like, oh, if you let him off, off the leash, he's probably got a, a win for him in that day. But, um, you know, he had to wait for his chance. And uh, I heard someone actually ask today on a podcast I was listening to, um, what about Sivakov? You know, if the re- leaders all have trouble, what about Sivakov and Sepkus as for their team leaders for the Tour de France? I think that's a little premature for either one of those guys. What, any, any, yeah. go ahead. Uh, it seems like that's a, a tall order for, for Cuss. Um, maybe if every stage ended in like a 15K, 10% climb or something, he'd be the guy to go for. But outside of that, eh. Right. He'll be a good support guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he's already done the Giro because uh, he did that for Roglic last year. And then he did the Vuelta. So this will be his third tour. Um, kind of cool. So I'm just announcing here, I'm going to be doing a preview, just uh, two preview shows. I'm going to do one with uh, just on the route with my uh, friend Jonathan Scriven, who lived over there in Nice. So he's going to uh, properly announce and uh, pronounce the names of all the start and finish stages. So we'll have that. He'll give us some in-depth uh, info on, <clears throat> on on the routes itself. We're just going to talk about that. And then uh, Sayers, I'm going to talk with him. We're just going to go over the tour and kind of do a preview show of the riders, the sprinters, and da-da-da-da-da. And then, of course, you and I, I imagine during the tour, we're going to be doing some stuff. But do you have any selections for any of those categories? Uh, climbers jersey, GC, because it's coming up, right? Uh, GC, uh, uh, sprinters. Who do you look to... Who do you think is going to be uh, the kind of the force in this? So uh, obviously, I think for for GC, you're going to see Yumba Visma full gas on that. And I think overall, I'm I'm leaning toward Tom Dumoulin as the guy to beat. Okay. Um, it'll be dependent upon how well Roglic rebounds from having crashed. Um, it'll depend on how well the team's there to support um, uh, Egan Bernal. Um, it, it's not a TT heavy course from what I understand this year, but I, I think Dumoulin's rounding into good form and he's going to have a, a strong team there to support him in the event Roglic falters. Um, climbers jersey, I don't know. That's always just a total wash. Uh, it, it can be anybody. It's 
whichever I mean, whichever guy feels like going early and grabbing points. It's almost um, like the most aggressive rider jersey, really. Yeah, um, sprint jersey. I don't know. I mean, it seems like Watt would be the guy to go for, but is he going to be a good teammate and kind of save his legs and be supporting the other riders? And you know, Sagan's always wanting to go for it just because that's kind of what he's got now uh, in in the way of pro racing. Um, youngest rider. Um, Who's younger? Is uh, Pochacar or is Bernal younger? Do they both qualify for the end? Well, they don't take it on who's younger. It's the one that's highest on GDC. Oh, I know. Are are they both within that age range? Under 25. So um, under 25, and so they both, yeah. All right. So, yeah, probably probably Bernal. Yeah, I can see it. How about team? That's a big one. Who's going to win the team? Well, that's going to be movie star, no doubt. They've been really (laughs) lackluster this year. I mean, they they always win, like, team uh, competition. They've been really lackluster this year, so... I'd be interested to see if they have anybody that can get uh, top five there uh, for the tour. I mean, Valverde is just—I think he's just getting too old. I say that, and then he, no. you know, he drinks baby's blood, and he's still hanging in there. Uh, but I don't really right. know that they have much of anything else. Lando, obviously, um, with Bahrain will be interesting, um, and I'm really interested to see what happens with Martinez, Huguita, and Iran for the tour. Um, there are other teams. Uh, they don't really mm-hmm. look like they have much of anybody else uh, supporting them though right now. What's going? Huh? With what? Is to the tour? Is Michael Woods going? Oh, is Woods going? Um, that's a good question. That I don't know. I'll have to look at that. Okay. Speaking of going, um, I heard I got a, a message from uh, Cole Davis last night. He's doing the Baby Giro coming up, so we'll be interested to see that. And he just did uh, Wallonie, and um, so he's been doing some big races over there in Europe and the under twenty three Giro. So or twenty, yeah, I think it's under twenty three cool. Giro. So uh, we hope him the best, and we'll probably try to keep an eye on him, and then. Um, we're going to have him on the podcast when he's done with that. He has a little free time. So, uh, nice. Yeah. Any last uh, words on this week in cycling before we head out? And then what tour starts next week, right? I have no idea when it starts. I'll take Excellent. your word for it. Um, I think it starts uh, next Saturday. Uh, the one thing I did see on the cycling front, I did see uh, as I was having lunch, looking at on social media, saw a bunch of photos from the uh, the Clovis practice crits. It looks like it's, it's pretty darn well practice attended. Practice laps. And, uh, oh, I called it crits. That, that's a lawsuit, I'm sure. Right. The, the Clovis practice laps, um, and it looks like, like uh, a good turnout. Lots of teams, lots of big, uh, big numbers out there. So pretty cool stuff to see guys still getting out and and racing. I think it's what must be Thursday nights somewhere, sometime. Mark Tucker, I imagine somebody wanna, out there. Knows you want to the come in and tell us what it is? Yeah, I think it's Thursday because he he's been asking me to go on on here. He said, "Hey, show up." Um, I'm not going to be able to. There's, that's a bit of a drive for a practice crit. No offense, but uh, it does look fun. What if it was practice laps? Oh, uh, for I only do crits. Liability reason, I have to. Uh, I have to do crits. That's part of my contract. Sponsor requirements. You right. Know? Right. That's. So, but anyway, it looked like it's it's well attended. Um, uh, it's good to see guys still getting out and kind of pushing hard. So it looks like Thursday night at six fifteen, according to to Sean Bagley. But wherever you choose, I suppose. Okay, well that's good to know. So I'm not probably going to ride for a while because this this weather is is worse than than anything. I don't know if it's worse than what we had. Was it last year, uh, or whenever the two years ago? I guess where the big fires were. Two years ago, where the yeah. it was really bad. I don't know if this is worse or not, but it's it's pretty nasty. I ash on my car every day, and like I said, it's like a, I'm a smoker now. So yeah, yeah that coupled with hundred plus temperatures is it's, it's not fun. Right, it's pretty bad. So I think we're going to call it there. Thanks, everybody, for episode 188, Between Two Wheels podcast. Chris, as always, thank you for joining and everyone online. Thanks for um, being part of this as well. Thanks, Chris. Mm -hmm. All right, everybody. Thanks once again, Between Two Wheels podcast. 
let us know what you think. Put your comments in, who you think the Tour de France winner is going to be this year. And as always, everyone stay safe out there and uh, put out the fires. <laughs>